0: Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week.
1: Ever since another taxi strike erupted on the streets of Cape Town in August... Negotiations between City of Cape Town officials and taxi industry representative body Santaco have been ongoing. Insiders say discussions have been fraught as both sides thrash out the finer points of an agreement that would not only protect commuters, but ensure there is a mutual understanding between officials, taxi drivers and operators. We caught up with Conflict Resolution Specialist Andre Fluck to find out where previous negotiations most likely fell apart and get his views on possible long-term solutions. Hi, Andre, and welcome to Carte Blanche, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Hello, Lizanne.
1: So let's start with the basics. You are a Conflict Resolution Specialist. Um, Could you just explain to our listeners what exactly that entails?
0: Technically, that is the theory and the practice in my case of conflict management, conflict resolution or conflict transformation. If I get the question on, on a flight, I tell people I help people with their conflicts. That's That's the short version.
1: The reason why we brought you in is to specifically chat about the recent taxi strikes and kind of The conflict resolution around those and the various flaws around those conversations. So, I mean, it seems that taxi strikes are escalating with each iteration. They seem to get more chaotic. The negotiations seem far more protracted, far more tense. As a conflict resolution specialist, what does this tell you about how the conflict could potentially manifest going forward?
0: The good news is that the escalation of of a complex conflict such as this one, is sometimes necessary in a certain sense we wouldn't want to be here some conflicts especially some south african conflicts they only become resolved once there is this type of escalation with that escalation comes that responsibility that crossroads where you reach and and the parties have certainly reached that now your your earlier point of it's escalating from here it now either gets resolved and improved and transformed Or you have what is known as conflict rigidity, where we become more distrustful of each other. We become more distrustful in the process itself where we start considering other more radical alternatives, where we're less likely to resolve issues, where we start looking at litigation, for example, where we start insulting each other. So that, I think, if we look at the Cape Town taxi conflict, we've certainly, that escalation, as you said, is certainly very visible over the last few years and in this instance itself. But now the question is, seeing that we are here, what are we going to do with that Important point that that the parties have reached, and and that is why this is such a crucial time in this conflict.
1: Do you think that government, both on a local and national level, equipped? To deal with these types of conflicts, because from what we've seen so far, especially with regards to the taxi unrest, is that they seem to be far more reactive in many instances, which really already puts them on on the back foot.
0: Most of the senior people that I work with concede quite happily that government at various levels are not equipped for modern conflict management. I must say that the Cape Town city management so far, barring a few uh, mistakes, have been unusually good compared to the rest of South African politicians in conflict. They've done quite a few things very, very correctly. But generally, South African politicians in general are still very aggressive. They still play for the crowd and for the likes and the clicks. And a lot of the the plays we see in in South African political conflict is straight out of the 80s. You know, the insult, the finger wagging, all of those things. Uh, And that's not conflict management. That's just pure conflict creation.
1: And just to take us back a little bit, the unrest within the taxi and the wider transport industry, it has been a long time coming. It didn't catch anyone by surprise. What could government have done differently to prevent matters from getting to this point? And also the taxi industry, because it's a two-way conversation. So you can't place all the responsibility just on one camp.
0: I think that's a very perceptive question. The way it plays out on our screens, it it tends to be viewed and experienced as as a two-party conflict but it's not. This taxi conflict should be seen against the backdrop of our national problems, our national unresolved conflicts. And then, of course, the unique conflict environment of, of Cape Town itself, its history, the special development, apartheid's history, unemployment issues, you know, a, a very long list of things. And all of those things are causes and triggers of this conflict. And that is where, with respect, I, I think the city has got it wrong and keep on, on, on doing it wrong. They deal with respect with the symptoms. They're like a good surgeon dealing with the symptoms without ever getting to, to the causes of, of the problem. And those causes are sometimes, given even a bit of lip service but generally left out of out of the play even when when the parties meet such as they're doing at the moment the efforts are to stick a, a band-aid on the wound to just get it resolved for now short-term solutions cheapest solutions without really opening the situation and really looking at the causes themselves and and, and doing that I'm not just blaming the the city or you know the officials involved you the, the taxi officials, the the, the drivers, there are a lot more parties that should be involved in the resolution of this. In March of this year, I wrote a very detailed article as to how I see the reasons and what should be done and the mistakes that have been made. And you make the point of you know, this recurring conflict and what is it that we could be doing, what our leaders should be doing. It's understandable. It's how in South Africa, how we deal with conflict, we manage it for now. In this Cape Town-City conflict, there's progress. We already see progress. The parties seem open to discussion. They're meeting, they're talking. But but we don't build on those little victories. We contain it for now, and the causes remain. It's fine for short term but it's certainly not conflict management.
1: I like that you call it conflict containment because that sums it up perfectly. It doesn't fix anything. That underlying tension and fraughtness is never really addressed. So what would you say are some of the approaches that both governments and the operators could take in terms of finding a more long-term solution?
0: If we accept that the problem is wider than just you know, taxis driving badly or being impounded or or so on. If you see it as just that, then I I think you're really missing the the bigger levers of the conflict. If you see a wider canvas, then we need other parties at that table. We we need the people who, who suffer when there's, These types of strikes, where are the families in this? Where are the employers in this? Where are the women in this? Conflict research clearly shows that in a protracted, cyclical, even generational conflict such as this one, that having the women at the table is necessary and it brings measurable results. We have these men insulting each other and doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. They play to their crowds and to their constituents. And I think a part of it is political. A part of it is maybe a lack of experience in this type of thing. Old methods are seen to be the only methods. If you don't listen to what I do, I'll sue you or we'll impound the vehicles or we'll go on a strike. I just get the sense in speaking to some of the parties involved in private that they really feel very limited In what they can do, and it shouldn't be that way. It's because they pick from that very limited list of conflict tools that we keep on having the same results. If this continues the way it is at the moment, it's inevitable that we're going to have the same result, if not worse. As I said earlier, that conflict rigidity sets in. You have less trust in the process. You have less trust in the person on the other side of the table. You have less trust in a peaceful resolution and a constructive resolution. So you start looking at other so called solutions as you see them. And those could be more radical, more desperate solutions. To go back to my original point, this crossroads has been reached. I think both sides have competent. People, but it is such a big responsibility on them to this time do it differently. It's not okay to just sit, if they think that sitting at this imbizo and coming up with a five page written agreement between the two of them that it will solve everything. It, again, it, it's short term thinking. Now, there are a lot of practical things that can be done. In my March article, I, I set out no less than 10 very practical steps that someone in the city's position can implement.
1: So assuming all parties are just unwilling to budge even just a little, what then?
0: It's a very practical question. What these parties around this table are experiencing is already a sort of a conflict rigor mortis, that conflict rigidity. The distrust built up at the last round and the previous round, the broken promises, the dashed expectations, that makes it more difficult. We find that in our personal lives as well, you, you know, if you struggle with someone, it becomes progressively more more difficult to deal with that person and to find resolution. Now, that is what these parties are looking at. I think there's a lot of goodwill there. I think they've hurt each other in such destructive ways that I think even the toughest of them are starting to see the value of constructive resolution. And that is something that they need to understand. And I think some of them are starting to understand this, that conflict resolution is not a soft skill. It is not even necessarily compromise. It is a creative solution that's necessary. You can be good at conflict management without caring about the other side, without giving them what they want, without agreeing or condoning their actions. You know, there's an election next year. People don't want to be seen as soft or weak. People don't want to go back to their constituents and be seen to have made concessions to people if the social media talk calls that very same group all sorts of horrible names. Here we See our wider South African canvas playing out. That terrible polarization of our society, where we really struggle to effectively communicate with each other. When we start calling each other the names that we've seen now in this taxi conflict, it's better now, it seems like. But in the beginning, those silos that people live in, their expectations are different, their experience of, of the world is different, the way they communicate with each other, it actually becomes a separate part of the problem. It becomes a conflict in itself. All of that makes it a lot more complex, but also at the same time, a lot more necessary to resolve this. One thing that I think is clear that both of the parties at the table seem to have initially lost sight of is this understanding that it's an ongoing relationship, that the hard heavy remedy may resolve things right now if it's a it's a once-off relationship then maybe a court case and maybe the hard hand is acceptable but in an ongoing relationship such as this one you don't just resolve the symptoms you also need to keep an eye on the relationship itself up to now prior to that they've been particularly bad at maintaining and improving that relationship
1: definitely and and i think a perfect Reflection of how important that relationship is is when you look at the most recent taxi strikes, Santaco was given a list of proposals by the city of Cape Town. It took them eight days to fight it out, only for them to settle for exactly the same proposal. And that is a perfect example of there not being a kind of a mutual respect between the two parties, but also what you've just said, there is that power play.
0: I think Santako carries a tremendous lot of the burden here in how they've conducted themselves in this whole conflict. They've made all the mistakes strategically, commercially, in some instances such as your example. I mean, you're approaching a problem like that in, in that way, even as an ethical component, and I think they've really failed very badly in, in, in that regard. It brings us back full circle to how do you approach a long term relationship with an important party that, that this is a part of your city that provides an essential service. It's fun and it's easy to gloat and point fingers to score political points, but does it take the conflict any further? Where are we after we've laughed and pointed fingers at each other? With the complexity of identity conflicts in South Africa, you already have this polarization. Whatever Santako does, it has its base, and that base will remain loyal to them. The same goes for the city. So you have these two camps, and that really makes South African conflicts a unique type of conflict in that whatever happens, they will always have their support. In a certain sense, such as we've seen here, there are no real consequences for mistakes, for these errors. How many people are going to punish Santaku at the bus stop and at the taxi rank for this? None. They simply don't have that option. So all of these things play into the big South African conflict. I think the Cape Town taxi conflict has really shone a very powerful light on some of our complexities. It is for the leadership to change. It's for political and commercial business leaders. It's for Santaco and, and so on. For community leaders to really step up and do things differently.
1: This leads into my final question. What is the way forward then? Has the transport industry, as so many people have said, become a law unto itself, and it's now just simply too late to really have any say in these negotiations.
0: I think that's one of the mistakes we make in South African conflicts is this whole idea of meet you in the middle, There's this whole compromise idea. There's no compromise with lawlessness. Modern conflict management doesn't require the city to sit down and say, all right, I'll meet you in the middle. There's a quota of bad things you can do. And that the city did very well. That first phase, the re-establishment of some form of stability, the dwellings, they must continue with that if it comes up again. But once that stability has happened, which I'd like to think we now have, now comes the question of how do we build on that? And that is the mistake they've made in the past. You have the stability, this part-time piece for now, but they need to build on that. Of course, yes, the taxi industry, I think, can do with an upgrade, a facelift. The communication channels between the parties can be improved. The way they speak to each other can be improved. If I was in charge of this, I would train my teams better in conflict management, both sides, all sides. I would involve people with real interests. I would listen to them, I would bring them to the table, I would make them a part of the process. I would not have this exclusive little club of two groups who affect everyone else, but when it comes to the negotiations, it's just the two of them. I would include, to a limited extent, the national government in this. I would try and make progress with that. Ultimately, it's not a negotiation as to the impounding of vehicles. That is an important side issue. The real conflict is about these people living together, and it's an essential service. And it has huge problems that it faces, and its response to those problems is to resort to criminality. Now, I'd like to think that people, if they have better channels of communication, if they trust each other better, most of them wouldn't feel it necessary, as unjustified as it is, to resort to criminality. If there were better consequences to this type of behavior, not just an impounding on the one hand, and on the other hand, more effective channels of communication where things can really be addressed effectively, quickly, with people that you have a good relationship with, people that you trust. If the city can build systems quick. Cheap, easy, effective systems. This whole thing could have been resolved if we had, even if we limited to the two groups, just a core group on both sides. who would trust each other. We would pick up the phone or go and have a coffee and talk this thing through. And I'm not saying that we must resolve all conflicts through talking, but this was all of it. It was a tit-for-tat, a hair-pulling contest. You do that, I do this, and it escalated through the roof. The second stage was handled very badly by everyone. And I'm sorry to say, but we again see much of the same seeds being planted for the same conflict to pop up in weeks and months and years to come.
1: Well, thank you so much for talking to us and kind of giving insight into this very complex issue and also highlighting some possible solutions. Even from this conversation, our listeners could use some of this in their own lives in terms of conflict management and how to approach instances where you just struggle to find each other. So thank you very, very much. This has been a very interesting conversation.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: thanks for listening in case you missed any of our earlier episodes you can find them all now on spotify and all other major platforms also head on over to the carte blanche website for more insightful content